We're going to read the story. This is very well known. It's just, by, by the way, good morning. It's good to be with you. It's sunny here in Belgium. I just mentioned at the beginning when I came on, it's 65 degrees here. Quite, uh, quite warm for this time of the year. We had uh, uh, we were at 20 degrees last week, so it's been quite a change. But we don't talk about the weather. We're going to talk about something more important. We want to talk about this wonderful word of God. And we're going to read from Mark chapter 2. I'd like to read the first 12 verses of this wonderful story. And you know this story. This is a well-known story. People who don't know the Bible all that well will know the story. And I'm reading from the NASB. And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now being unable to get to him on account of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, he said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your bed and, or your pallet and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is a fabulous story, a wonderful story. The encounter with Jesus and this paralytic has been taken up by three gospels. Uh, by And Mark and Luke give us the most detail. There's so much in this story, and I'm afraid I'm just going to be able to scratch the surface of it today. But you imagine yourself in the setting that this story takes place. Everyone's intently listening listening to Jesus as he's talking to them, and all of a sudden the roof opens up above them. Uh, it would have been great to have movie cameras there to catch this, but of course we didn't have movie cameras back then. You'd have to have several cameras just to catch everyone's reaction to what was what they were seeing and what they heard. There's drama here, there's anticipation, there's tension, there's action. The only thing that's missing is romance. But the story is fabulous, just a fabulous story. And it feels like the roof is going to cleave on these people. And I'm sure they were afraid that they were going to get a roof tile dropped on their heads. And then these four men let down this pallet into the room where Jesus is talking. Imagine the commotion that they experienced. It's a wonderful story. But it raises a lot of questions, and maybe you have questions too. But I just thought of five questions that this story doesn't seem to answer. First of all, why weren't they let in? Um, Capernaum wasn't a big town. Uh, they knew who this man was. Uh, they would have known him because they couldn't carry this man from far. Uh, it's a small village. Everybody knows everybody. It's not like our neighborhoods now, where we live as often as strangers beside each other. There was no TV. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. If you want to know what's going on, you speak to your neighbors. We all have our social networks, but back then they had their social network, but it was all, we talked, they had contact with each other without social distancing. And this was the case with this man, but they didn't let him in. I don't know why. It doesn't say in the text why they didn't let him in. So that's one question. And then 
maybe a more important question is why is it easier to say that your sins are forgiven than to say, take up your bed and walk? Is it easier? I mean, I'll get back to that, but this is a good question. What is easier? And then the third question, why doesn't Jesus give him what he came for? Um, at least not right away, they didn't get it. And it was obvious why they were there. He was a paralytic. He was, he was paralyzed. And then Jesus starts about forgiveness of sins. N nice, uh, but not really what I came for. That's not why I'm here. And Mark doesn't give us the reaction of the man when Jesus starts talking about forgiveness of sins. He had to let that sink in. Jesus was aware of the people that were there besides the four men on the roof and the one who was let down um, on the pallet. There must have been quite the tension in the air. And those who heard it realized that they were hearing something earth shattering. Fifth question, or fourth question, why is physical healing more impressive than spiritual healing? And it's often that way, isn't it? We're often more impressed by physical healing than spiritual healing. I'll come back to that question. And then the fifth question, which I think is a really important one too, why is there so little faith in Capernaum? You won't see it in this text, but if you look in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has very stinging words for this town and for two other towns, Bethsaida and Chorazin. He says in Matthew 11, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to heavens? To the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now you would think if you read the, the miracles and the wonders that Jesus did in these towns, you would think these people had no reason at all not to believe. And I hear from many people who say to me, show me a miracle and I'll believe. But here is an example of three towns that were inundated with miracles. Jesus did incredible things. This was an incredible miracle. And they didn't believe. It's interesting. They didn't believe. But I mean, the disciples had difficulty believing too. Even at the end, if you look at Matthew chapter 28, uh, the Great Commission, the disciples doubted there too. After all they had seen, after all they'd experienced, all the messages, the, the preaching that Jesus did, all the, the wonders, the uh, miracles he did, he, they still had doubts. Before I go back to the story, let's look at these four men. Jesus has words about these four men. They're pretty special friends. He sees their faith. Their names are not mentioned. We only know they're very good friends. And, and I think it's a good example about friends, how important good friends are. And here are some aspects of friendship that these men showed. And I think we all agree we need good friends. We need good friends. We need friends who believe in Jesus. And it was very clear that these men believed in Jesus because otherwise they would never have brought their friend to him. You only do that when you have faith in Jesus. And Jesus was impressed by their faith. He wasn't impressed by their ability to take the roof apart. They did a good job of that without causing anybody to have a concussion. He was impressed by their faith. And that's pretty special. Jesus saw their faith. He was impressed. That's pretty impressive. He's impressed by their faith. These were good friends. Second, we need friends who care about us. 
And this wasn't just emotion. They were concerned about their friend who was paralyzed and their concern for their friend, their love for their friend was translated into action. They brought him to Jesus. We need friends who are persistent. We need friends who don't let us down. And that's not a play on words. They did let him down into the house, but I mean something else. They don't let him down in the sense they don't give up on him. Normal access to the house was, was blocked. Most would have just given up, say, well, look, we'll lie you down here at the door, near the door. And, and when he comes up, maybe he'll see you. Maybe maybe he'll have pity on you. No, they didn't do that. They didn't, didn't leave it at that. They were persistent. They went the second mile. And then we need friends who will use creative means to bring us to Jesus. And that's what they did. They couldn't get into the door. They couldn't get into the window. They couldn't get into the place. And so they climbed up onto the roof. I wonder who's the, whose idea that was. Uh, and I wonder if this man lying there as a paralyzed person, not able, maybe not able to hang on, being carried up to the roof must have been quite dangerous. But we need friends who can get creative um, in the ways that we bring our friends to Christ. Uh, we sing that song, read your Bible, pray every day. It's good advice. Good advice. And sometimes we get so done up, though sometimes we don't, yeah, we need people to help us. We need to bring people back to the one who we can trust. We need good friends. We are meant to be islands in our Christianity. And that's one of the reasons why it's good to get together on Sunday morning. And I know it's Zoom and I'm getting tired of Zoom. I'm sure you are too. But we still get a chance to see each other. And it's so important to have contact with each other. Friends are important are important. Small groups are important. We need to be involved in each other's lives. And this is one of, one of the motivating factors I have in being involved with youth work. I'm, I'm an old guy. You can see the gray hairs. Uh, but young people, working with young people is wonderful. And I see the importance of giving young people the chance to, to grow strong, healthy friendships and relationships when they're young. We organize camps and youth retreats and Bible studies and we see that these strong friendships usually last for life. And so that's one of the things that we, one of the reasons why we organize camps is that these young people get friends, get good friends who can be a help. Because let's be honest, we all have moments when we're all paralyzed. We're not physically paralyzed, but there are so many things, other things that can paralyze us. Perhaps it's our past or our fears or our insecurities or our bad habits. And there are so many things that can render us bedridden. And I don't mean that physically, but mentally, emotionally. We need friends. We need friends. And these four men brought their friend to Jesus. Jesus was impressed by their faith. Their faith was expressed in action. And it's always that way. Faith is expressed in action. Faith is not static. Faith you will always see in action. In this case, it was bringing this friend to Jesus. Faith can be seen. It doesn't float around somewhere out there, nebulous, unnebulous mass. It's, it's defined. It's faith. It's creative. And I could use a hundred quotes to illustrate this point, but let me just use one from Micah. Oh, here's a picture also of Jesus here. And I doubt very much that that hole in the roof was so nice and square, but that's a nice picture. Anyways, in Micah chapter six, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. 
it's important to ask ourselves that question, ask myself that question. How do I live up my faith? How was my faith in Jesus Christ experienced in my life? And if it's not, there's no experience there, when we, then we have to wonder if, if it's real. Is it real? Christianity is not just mental assent to certain doctrine. It's more than believing certain ideas in God's word that, that God created and God came to this earth. It's important to believe those things. But ultimately, it's about what you do with them in your life. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about a wise man and a foolish man. A wise man builds his house on the rock. The foolish man is the one who builds his house on sand. What was the difference? What was the difference between the two of them? Acting on his word. And it's always that way. Faith is acting on his word. This is what faith in Jesus Christ was. And Jesus was impressed by these men. They brought their faith into action. Now, I'm not saying that we are saved by our actions. We're not. We're saved by faith. But faith will always show itself in action. Now, these men don't get, sorry, these men don't get what they expected. They came for a healing with their, for their friend. These are the, the scribes. They were sitting there too. And Jesus talks on about forgiveness of sins. It's nice, as I said, nice, but not what they came for. It's important to see the context of these things. There were others listening on, in on this conversation. The scribes were there and they were looking and they were listening very intently, scrutinizing every word that Jesus said. And then he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Not only was this said for the man who was lying there paralyzed, but also for the scribes. And they realized right away what the weight of this, this, uh, this these words of Jesus was. The man hadn't done anything wrong to Jesus. Jesus' forgiveness of him wasn't something that he had done to Jesus. Jesus was forgiving all his sins. And you could see the reaction of the Pharisees. The consternation. Now, this is just a Google uh, illustration. But the question is, who is this man who thinks he can forgive sins? We have to realize the Jewish context here. Uh, there was a whole elaborate complicated procedure involved with forgiveness of sins. There were sacrifices that needed to be made, to be brought, cleansing rituals. Forgiveness of your sins was not cheap and not easy. In fact, it had become a huge weight on the shoulders of the ordinary people. And it had become a way for the religious elite to separate themselves from the riffraff of society. You had the inner circle and you had the rest. And religion was a way in, in this time, and this is why Jesus was so angry at them. This was a way of keeping their undesirables out. Only those who could follow the law to the letter would be considered in good standing with God. The rest were alienated. Not much has changed over the centuries. We see religion is still being used to keep the undesirables out. This man was not part of the inner circle. He was paralyzed. And they thought, obviously, partially because of his own sin or because of the sin of his parents. That's the way they thought in that time. And you can understand the surprise of the scribes at these words of Jesus. Here was Jesus allowing an undesirable, a riffraff, in with all, all the, without all the procedures, without the cost of buying the sacrificial animals, without any of the prerequisites. Just, just forgive her sins. He just forgave his sins. He didn't even ask for it. The man on the, on the pile didn't even ask for it. He just gave it to him, and they were so upset with him. 
But the scribes realized immediately the consequences of what he said. Only God can forgive sins. And this is the reaction of the Pharisees and the scribes throughout the gospel. They were angry. They were angry at Jesus. And why were they so angry? Because he took away their vehicle for proving that they were good people. We are good people because, and if you read that story of the, the, um, the Pharisee and the tax collector, you see that. The Pharisee standing at the front of the temple, basically boasting to God about all the things that he does. This is why I'm a good person. They made the great. They were on another level. They were better. They were better people. It's about trying to prove, trying to prove that my life has meaning, has purpose. Most people believe in this world that there is a God. Now, whether you what you what you believe in to be, that's that's different for every situation. But you relate to most religions are based on the principle: do your best. There are several variations of it, but it amounts to the same thing: do your best. That's a code of contact conduct. Sorry. And you have to follow it to find favor with God, earn favor with God, whoever you perceive him to be. I'll perform and I'll be accepted. This is everywhere in the world. This is very strong in Belgium where Roman Catholicism has been the religion for the last centuries. And it's mostly been rejected in the last 40 years, but the belief in performing for approval is still strong. Here's a photo of a procession in the city of Bruges there is a church there, the Church of the Holy Blood. They believe they have a vial of Christ's blood, and every year it's taken out. There wasn't, they didn't do it this year because of COVID, but every, every year they take this vial of blood out, and there's a whole procession through the city. Um, and, and people believe that if you, if you do the right things, you will be okay. And even people who don't believe in God, people who are atheists, they still will tell you that their lives are consistent with their convictions. I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. And this is often what we see. We're trying to prove things. We're trying to say, look, I'm a good guy. And the gospel of Jesus Christ diametrically opposes this. It's not because you're a good person. In fact, the problem lies just exactly there. You think you're a good person. You haven't understood sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, I'm fully accepted in Christ. Therefore, I obey. I obey because I'm accepted in Christ. I am loved in the beloved. And the scribes and the Pharisees were angry. He took away their ability to perform, to perform their goodness, to prove their goodness. And they, he shook their foundation to the core. This is the difficulty that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes had with Jesus. He wasn't playing the game. He wasn't playing the game. He changed the rules. And now something that Jesus said in, in chapter, sorry, in, in verse 9. What is easy, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? What is easier? It's a sticky question. What is really easier? I know physical healing attracts a lot of attention. In fact, if this man was invited to tell about what he experienced in this house, his physical healing, there wouldn't be a building big enough in Capernaum to seat all the people who would want to come out and hear his story. But if someone came to tell of forgiveness that he experienced, the first row of seats would be enough. That's all the people would come. And it's an inter even, even in Fanwood, I think, people would 
react more to somebody being physically healed rather than spiritually healed. Why is that? Why is why are people more why are we often more impressed by somebody who is physically healed rather than somebody who is spiritually healed? Part of the problem is we don't understand sin. We don't understand the utter devastation that sin causes in our lives. We're so used to it. We our world is full of it. We point to situations that are going on in Syria and other other flashpoints in the world, or perhaps closer to home in our slums. Um, but sin is everywhere. It affects every area of our lives. Our greatest need is what this man received. He received forgiveness of sins, of sin. Now, what is sin? It's what we do, obviously, but that's part of the problem. The problem is actually here, my heart, my heart. That's just it. It has to do with our heart. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, Satan uh, uh, tempts, sorry, I can't get the right English word, tempts uh, Adam and Eve to take of this fruit. And they lose their innocence. They lose their identity. They lose their right image of self. And we are looking for that back. And we've lost who we are. And we look, we're looking all the wrong, in the wrong places. Our greatest need is forgiveness of sins. That's my greatest need. That's your greatest need. And Jesus saw through that. And I'm sure this man thought, if I could only just walk again, if I could only get my life back, if only I could live like a real man and work and be someone again, I would never be unhappy again. I would always live my life with joy and thankfulness. But you know as well as I do, when we get what we want, the joy quickly fades. The thankfulness quickly fades. In a few months, we've forgotten that we were bedridden. But to admit that this is often what happens. Shocking, but it is that way. And we often think that oh, if only the circumstances in our lives were different, a better health or better looks or a better husband or even a husband at all, and then my life would be different. Then my life would be have meaning. I'm sure that's what this man felt. And Jesus saw his need, his need for healing, but he especially saw his need for a deep healing. And that was forgiveness of sins. Reminded of a conversation in John chapter 4, the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. You remember the story. The woman had five husbands. And you have to wonder what she was thinking when she promised five times to five different men till death do us part. What were you thinking? What was she thinking? What was she looking for? Was it love? Was it love? You listen to uh, the music on the radio now and you see the, the uh, idols that we are after. We're looking for, she's looking for acceptance. She's looking for security. If you look around us, we see the idols of the heart. Whom do you love? Whom do you trust? Whom or what do you worship? Who will you serve? Money or God? To whose glory will you live? That's an important one. Are you living for your glory or for his glory? Where's your treasure? Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 6. Where's your treasure? Treasure. John Calvin said, we are swimming in a sea of idolatry. We swim every day in a sea of idolatry. And this is just mankind looking for something to fill their lives. And I'm amazed at what 
Jesus said to this man and everywhere in the Gospels, he was the answer. But this woman in John chapter 4, whatever it was she was looking for, she hadn't found it. She'd married five and cast aside five. Perhaps she chased them off. And then this conversation with Jesus, perhaps she was looking for a website from www.findmeagoodmanwhoalwayslovesmeandmakesmehappy.com. But Jesus didn't give a website. Doesn't give a list of possible suitors. He promises her living water. And he says, I am. I am. And it's interesting how often Jesus personifies the perceived need that we have. He says to those who are hungry, I am the bread of life. To this woman who went for water, I am the living water. To Mary and Martha, when their brother had died, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. So many I am statements in the Gospels. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In this case, the case of this man who was lowered through the roof by his friends, physical healing was a temporary solution. It was a solution, but it was a temporary solution. And Jesus saw his real need. He had a deeper need. David was also aware. He wrote in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Blessed. It's not a superficial feeling. He was touched to the core of his being by the forgiveness of his sin. And Jesus deals with the root problem, our problem, at sin. That's why he came. It's part of the work of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God's God Spirit wants us to be aware of what sin is, be aware of the consequences of sin in our lives and the terrible consequences when sin has free reign. So was it easier to say your sins are forgiven or was it easier to say, take up your pallet and walk? I think it was easier to give the man physical healing. What did it cost Jesus to be able to forgive this man's sin? Sweats, sweat droplets of blood. Incredible what he did for us. That wasn't easy. It was not easy. And it's so important for us to understand. It's, it's understanding what sin is, understanding what Christ did, understanding what the cross means, understanding what we do every Sunday with bread and the wine that's so important for us. And we see that in the life of Paul. Paul came to faith and we see the work of God's spirit in his life as far as awareness of sin. He, he writes as a growing awareness of sin in Paul's life. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles. And then later in his ministry, he says, I am blessed than the least of all the Lord's people in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. And then at the end of his life, he says this. I, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world as if sinners of who I'm, I am the worst. Wow. What a statement by the Apostle Paul. He realized, and this was the work, it wasn't that he was, there was more sin in his life. I don't believe that, but I believe that he became more aware of just what was alive, what was going on in his heart. That's why awareness of sin is so important. And why is it so important? For one thing, it keeps me humble. And that's something that we really need, humbleness. 
and they're more gracious towards other people too because you realize I'm not much better. I'm not any better at all. It makes me aware of God's incredible grace in my life. And I think that that's such an important aspect of our lives, thankfulness because of this incredible grace that I've been blessed with. And then it helps me to keep my priorities right in my life. So the question, and I want to end, end now with the question, how do we get awareness of sin? Simple. I mean, it sounds simple. I realize it's not simple. Ask for it. And we read it today. We read it today. I was glad it was read. Psalm 139. At the end of Psalm 139, David asks for it. And this is from the uh, Contemporary English Bible. Look deep into my heart, God, and find out everything I'm thinking. Don't let me follow evil ways, but lead me in the way that time has proven true. It's a bit different than what you regularly read. I thought it was a good translation. The thing is, we won't see it ourselves. And this is the, the difficulty of sin is that we're often blind to sin in our own lives. We often see it with other people. We wonder, how come they don't see that? But we don't see it ourselves in our own lives. We're often blind to our own blindness. Blind to the fact that we're blind. And we need the work of God's spirit in our lives to make us aware of sin. And this is grace. He comes into our I mean, He does it. Now, this is a very dangerous prayer because he's going to answer it this is something taken from his word and he's going to answer this prayer so if you're going to pray this prayer realize he's going to answer you and he's often going to use other people too this is what we read in um, hebrews chapter 3 let me just read that for you because i think it's such an important aspect of what it means to be involved with a church hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 and 13 and again it's because we're blind we're often blind to our own inconsistencies. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12, I don't have the slide for that. Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. And here is it. But encourage one another day after day, as long as they are still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And this is what sin does. It deceives us. And we think, like the Pharisees, they thought, we're good people. They they truly thought they were good people. They missed the boat terribly. And Jesus was amazed by the fact that they missed the boat terribly. It's because we're deceived by sin. So this is these are some of the lessons that we can learn from Mark chapter 2. I was impressed by it. Impressed by the faith of these four men who let them down. Impressed by Jesus seeing through the need and realizing... I need to deal with the real issues here. And the real issue is forgiveness. The need for the forgiveness of sin. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the richness of your word. And every time we go to it, we we, we find more wonderful things. And, and there are times I wish I could have been there to see this. And yet we have it in front of us. We can, and we're grateful for those who, who translated this so that we can read and understand. And we're grateful for the work of your spirit to uh, bring these biblical truths into our lives and to show us what it means to come to you. And so we do come to you and you encourage us in Matthew chapter 11, the same chapter. Come to me, those who are weary, and I will give you a rest. Learn from me. I don't know the rest of it is in English, but anyways, it's, it's, and learn from me because he's humble and 
don't know what the rest of it is, but I know it better in Dutch. Lord, thank you for the, the, the these wonderful words, and and we're grateful for being able to encourage one another. Thank you that you've given us the the privilege of being involved with the church, and being involved in other lives. And we want to encourage each other to grow in our faith and our trust in you. And we thank you again for the privilege of opening your word. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.